Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Jeremy Thomas. In this series, we are looking at the two letters to the Thessalonian church. This episode is just a taste from the full lesson. It is a standalone teaching meant as special encouragement for you today. So enjoy this short teaching. We hope you come back tomorrow for the full lesson. Do you have questions? Well, we had a question already, but do you have questions about the rapture, the day of the Lord? I sent out an email. It had several suggested questions, uh, if nobody has a question. But, you know, just the term rapture, rapture from the Greek word harpazo, used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, or verse 16, translated as caught up in the New American Standard Bible. Uh, refers to a snatching or catching away of individuals who are left alive and remain. So there's really no question whether the rapture is a doctrine that is taught in Scripture. Because it is. But it's a question of timing. It's a question of who. It's a question of what. It's a question of where. All these other questions. So are there questions? Yeah, hi, Lynn. Thank you. Okay, so a few things going on here. So the question or in co- and comments are along the lines of, didn't you say that there could be a gap of time between the moment of the rapture and the beginning of the day of the Lord? And if so, related to that would be the question of, if the day of the Lord begins when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel, at least their leaders, Daniel 9.27, then could he be alive, let's say, today? Could he be in the world today? Could he be a person that is presently in our world system? So, first of all, it is very possible and highly likely that there is a gap of time between the rapture event and the beginning of the day of the Lord. If you have them happening at the same time, the rapture and the beginning of the day of the Lord, then both of those events would be imminent. And that that is a possibility, let's say. I would say that is theoretically possible. But what we mean by imminent is that they can happen at any moment. So the rapture happens, and that would mean, though, at the same time, I mean, it would mean that at the exact time, and not any different time, but the exact time, like down to the millisecond, that the Antichrist and the leadership of the nation Israel will be signing the treaty that initiates the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year contract, right? Because if one must precede the other, then the other is not imminent anymore because it must be preceded by the other. So this is a view that's called dual imminence, and some people have held this. For example, Robert Thomas held this, who was at Master's Seminary, and I believe he's passed away from us. But I have met him and talked with him on a couple of occasions. He was at the Master's Seminary as a professor for 30 or 40 years. Um, that is his actual position. But just realize, the rapture would happen the moment that this figure signed the, the treaty with Israel. That would mean, by the way, that this individual has to be quite prominent in the world. Because for Israel to entrust their homeland security to someone who is non-Israeli, is a person outside of their country, (laughs) would is saying a lot. Because, I mean, they have the IDF, they have their own special services. 
they're quite adept at their security. So for them to be in a position where they're going to allot their security to someone who is outside of their country, we would probably know who that individual is. So this indicates that we probably do have a gap of time. This is one indication that we probably have a gap of time between the rapture itself and the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Um, however, because the rapture is imminent, and by that we mean that it can, ha can happen at any moment, it could happen while we're sitting here, uh, there are no signs that must occur that would tip us off that it's about to occur. Because it is imminent like that, and Paul speaks that way, for example, in chapter 4, he says, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain. He didn't say, then those who are alive and remain. But we, including himself, right? So he puts forth the prospect that he could be alive and remain when uh, the rapture takes place. So, because of that, when the rapture happens, I mean, you will have believers around the world, right, that are removed from the world in a moment, right, in a twinkling of an eye. And then uh, anyone who was not raptured is quote unquote left behind, <laughs> right? And we don't know what their explanations will be for the removal of all these people, how many ever there are. But we know that sometime after that, the Antichrist will rise to become a prominent figure to the point that he has legitimacy among the leadership of the nation Israel and their Knesset to provide homeland security for them. Um, when we read 2 Thessalonians 1, when, when we read that, uh, what you'll see is that as it goes into the second coming and uh, aspects of the day of the Lord, that it sounds like this could happen in the days that the Thessalonians were living. And the reason it sounds like that is because from Paul's point of view, it could have. Because once the rapture happens, then these things, I would say, are going to follow rather quickly. How much of a gap of time, we don't know. But the way that Paul writes 2 Thessalonians 1, <laughs> he writes it as if those who are persecuting you, Thessalonians, they're going to be judged. And the description of the judgment is relative to the second coming. So you say, Paul, I mean, don't you know it's going to be 2,000 years and all the people who persecuted the Thessalonians are going to be dead? But no, Paul didn't know that. And that is the whole point. Because the rapture is imminent and because the day of the Lord happens quickly on the hills of the rapture, 
Therefore, he did present it as if the Thessalonians' persecutors could have been alive at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You follow this? So that is my basic answer <laughs> uh, to the gap between the rapture and the, day, the beginning of the day of the Lord. Uh, the day of the Lord does begin, let's just state this, it, be, it has two conditions, basically. There's three, but I don't want to get into the third one because it's too controversial and we'll talk about it later. The first condition is in 1 Thessalonians 5, and I call it the general condition. This condition is a time when the world is saying peace and safety. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. So the general condition of the world is that it will be a time in which all nations on earth and all peoples on earth are saying, hey, there's peace and there's safety. The second condition is a specific condition. And this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 3. In verse 2, this letter is written because they were quickly shaken and disturbed about a spirit or a message or a letter as if it came from Paul, Timothy, and Silas. A false or forged letter to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, they thought, due to a forged letter, that they were already in the day of the Lord. But Paul says in verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, Thessalonians. It will not come, that is, the day of the Lord will not come, unless first the apostasy comes, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, who is the son of destruction the one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God and displays himself as being God. Which is who? Who does that? The individual that we typically call the Antichrist, but one of his names or titles is the man of lawlessness. So these two things are the specific conditions. The apostasy, whatever that is, that's the one I don't want to deal with now because of the controversy that surrounds it. But the second one is not, in my mind, highly controversial. The man of lawlessness is revealed. And a few verses later, it tells us that there's this restraint put on him in verse 7, the mystery of law, or verse 6, sorry. You know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. There is a restraint on his being revealed, okay? This deals with your other question, Lynn, right? Could he possibly be in the world right now, but he has not been revealed? The revealing is being restrained. And that is definitely a possibility, and it is definitely going to be true for one generation. One generation will have the Antichrist alive in the world, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's this generation. Why would I think otherwise? Every generation should think that he is alive. Once the church is removed, then he, this restraint on his 
identity will be removed and he will be revealed. Now, my point about why this is not or should not be controversial is because when he signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, okay, it's seven years, it's 2,520 days, it's 84 months, this is not that complicated. If someone signed that type of treaty with the nation Israel and they entrusted their homeland security to him, his identity would be revealed. I mean, unless it just occurs in, you know, some back room and nobody knew about it and it wasn't announced publicly through CNN or whatever. But the point is, is that it is hard to imagine that that could occur and nobody would know about it. So if that were to occur, you have a condition in the world where you have the man of sin or lawlessness revealed, right? And the irony of that situation is the first seal in the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 6 presents the general condition that 1 Thessalonians 5 did, a time of peace and safety. So Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1, we have the Lamb, who we know is the, the Christ, right? We've learned that from chapter 5. The Lamb who breaks one of the seven seals, the first. He says, And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with the voice of thunder, Come, come forth, speaking to this horse and its rider. And I looked, verse 2, And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and he had a crown that was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Keep reading. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace on earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So what is the difference between the period of the first seal, the white horse, who was given a bow and went forth conquering into conquering, and the second seal, which was the red horse, who it was granted to take peace from the earth? What is the difference between those two time periods, the first seal and the second seal? That was Walbert's view, actually. Walvert held that the first seal was actually three and a half years. I felt this to be one of his weakest points in all of his theology, considering he was the greatest prophetic scholar of the 21st century. Uh, 20th century, excuse me. Um, the first seal, okay, the second seal, let me ask you a question. At the time of the breaking of the second seal, when you have the red horse comes forth, what did they take away from the earth? Peace. So, did you have peace under the first seal? Presumably you did. So, a white, a white horse uh, signifies, well, in our mind, purity. Okay. Or perhaps, let's just say peace, because we have that contextually. Obviously, the red horse signifies what? Blood, bloodshed. So, you have a period of peace under the first seal. Now, and, and, and then that's broken at the second seal. So what did they say in 1 Thessalonians 5? When they are saying peace and safety, 
do we have a period of peace at the first seal? Okay, yeah, exactly. So that is why I am connecting okay, the beginning of the day of the Lord with the first seal. Because the world is saying peace and safety. You know, we finally got it. But then it says destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman and they will not escape. And that's the second seal, isn't it? Okay, do you follow then? Why I'm saying what I'm saying. You don't have to agree with me. I don't even care. I just care that you agree with God. Whatever He says. My question is, if so the rapture has to happen before that, okay? The rapture has to happen before that. I mean, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, you have the rapture. Then after that in chapter 5, Separate topic. Remember, it's a peri day, so separate topic, the day of the Lord. It happens after the rapture. If it doesn't happen after the rapture, why didn't Paul reverse the order? Why did he talk about the rapture in chapter 4 and the day of the Lord in chapter 5? Why didn't he go like this and switch it and talk about the day of the Lord first and then, you know, the rapture of the church after? or something like that? Or why didn't he talk about them as if they were the same subject? But he doesn't because chapter 5 begins with the peri day, which means now concerning, and it's a shift of topics. And I think I showed you that in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10. Repeatedly, whenever Paul wants to change the topic of discussion, he'll use peri day to do that. To indicate, okay, I'm talking about something different now. So the rapture and the day of the Lord is something different, and he put rapture before the day of the Lord. So all these things put together, the rapture happens first. Paul suspected he could be alive when it happened. We who are alive and remain. Sometime, probably shortly after that, because of 2 Thessalonians 1, he's, the day of the Lord would have begun. And those who are persecuting the Thessalonians, he says, hey, God's going to, or Christ is going to exact judgment on them in the day of the Lord. Okay? So those are the basic answers to the question, but I really took my time on that because I really want you to understand this. There's only one time when you have the general condition of peace and safety Okay, which is the first seal. We just looked at that. A period of first uh, peace and safety. And when the man of lawlessness is revealed, which is when he would sign the covenant with the leadership of the nation Israel, Daniel 9.27. The only place where those two coincide is the very first seal. That's the only place. I don't know of any other place where... Nobody knows who the Antichrist is. And there's a period of peace and safety. If you can come up with one, I'd love to hear it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I would consider anything. The thing about prophecy is it's not always easy, right? Um, if you look at the Gospels, 
you know, they say that about 25% of the Bible is prophecy. And about half of those prophecies were fulfilled at the first coming, and the remaining half will be fulfilled in connection with the second coming. Yet some of the things that were fulfilled in the first coming, the Jews didn't exactly expect. They were a little surprised about how it was fulfilled. So there can be some things in our future understanding of prophecy that we don't maybe quite have worked out. So I'm doing the best I can to work it out. That's what I'm saying. But my words can't be you know, the final word. Thank you for listening to this lesson from the Epistles to the Thessalonians. Jeremy has a companion book to this study available on Amazon for purchase. You can find the link in the description below. You can also find out more information on Jeremy's website, beyondthewalls-ministry.org. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you found this lesson useful, informative, and encouraging. Because our desire here at Beyond the Walls is for you to grow in your faith, your love of God, and therefore to have a more joyful, abiding life in Christ.